Good morning, church. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord every Sunday, right? Okay, only five of you agree. Okay, I hope at the end of this sermon, all of you agree that <clears throat> the best place to be found is in the house of God. Can I have the lights not so bright, shining at my face? I'm very beautiful, but... <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, um, ah, that's much better. You know, I'm just always so thankful for the privilege that we are all given to always come up to this pulpit and share the Word of God. And even with this privilege, and even though no matter how many times we come up, we always come up with fear and trembling because we're always so careful that we just, it's not just about a teaching of the Word only, but it is really about imparting the message that God has for every one of us. And so before we even start, let's begin to ask the Lord to move in our hearts and really ask the Holy Spirit to work in us today. So let's just pray a short one now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we thank you, O oh God, that you have given us the privilege of your Son. You've given us the privilege of your Holy Spirit, O oh God, that, will, that just convicts us, that illuminates the Word, that teaches us and is our counsellor. So Holy Spirit, come and take over this, this service, take over all our thoughts, and Lord, we bring every part of our being under your authority, Lord. And we ask that God speak to all our hearts, anoint us afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, I'm excited because I get to preach from a book I've never preached from. I've actually never preached from the book of Isaiah. And so I'm very excited. Now you're wondering, oh yo, Isaiah sounds very deep, sounds very heavy. Don't worry. It is going to be a very exciting story because... <clears throat> nestled between all the oracles and all the prayers of Isaiah is a very interesting and powerful encounter with the Lord. It is, very, it is also found in 2 Kings. It is also found in 2 Kings chapters... Oh, where's my slides? Chapters 18 and 19. And today, the topic is overcome. Tell your neighbour, Overcome. Now, you know, the word overcome has got two different meanings. English language is actually quite a peculiar language at times. You know, overcome can mean, oh, I have overcome that situation. It gives you the meaning of success and victory. Or it can also have the other meaning of, I have been overcome. You have been taken over. It can also mean, I've been overcome with grief. I've been overcome with disappointment. So it can also have a very negative meaning. But today, I want to say that no matter what kind of situation that seems to overcome us, I want to tell you this. God has given us the spirit and the authority to be an overcomer. Amen? Amen. So get excited. Today, we're going to talk about ancient Israel. We're going to talk about King Hezekiah. Now, before I go into the story, I understand Many of us, right, I also was like that, cannot figure out in the kings, right, got so many kings, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. What on earth is going on? I can't keep track of who is good and who is bad anymore, right? But so I'm going to give you a little bit equipping class here, okay? Two minutes equipping class, can or not? Uh, but no credits, this one, huh? Okay, so ancient Israel, under King David and under his son Solomon, there was just one nation, the nation of Israel. But after Solomon, the nation split. And so, ten tribes 
went one side and they formed the nation called Israel. And the one remaining tribe formed the nation called Judah. Now you're wondering, hey, 10 plus, 11, 10 plus 1 is 11. Pastor Sue missed out one tribe. No, the tribe of Levi was spread as priests between both sides. So therefore got 12 tribes lah, okay? So now this whole episode takes place in the kingdom of Judah. In the kingdom of Judah, where David himself was from the line of Judah. So uh, it's interesting to note a lot more godly kings came out from Judah. But they also had their fair share of evil kings. And this story, it takes place at a time in history where the nation of Israel, after so many times of disobedience, of so many prophetic warnings, the nation of Israel fell. It was taken over. This, this incident that takes place happens 20 years after the nation of Israel had already fallen to the kingdom of Assyria. Because after all their disobedience, finally, they were taken over. So Judah was still standing strong. And now, King Hezekiah was facing a difficult trial because now the Assyrian army had come knocking on his door. Now, the Assyrian king had already taken over many, many, many nations. They had taken over many cities throughout the land. And Judah was a very important nation to take over because it was located in between a highway between the Assyrians and Egypt. And so they needed to conquer everything. And they were very evil conquerors when they conquered. There was a lot of bloodshed, a lot of death, a lot of destruction as well. Now, this king, this episode comes in where the king does not talk to the king. I was telling the people yesterday, how you know you are high up in position is that when you are so high up, right, you don't need to attend meetings. You send your people to attend. You get what I'm saying? When you're so high up, the kings don't meet up together to talk. So King Assyria sent his people. And then King Hezekiah sent his people. So it's like, my people talk to your people. We don't need to talk. So that's how they do it back then. And I think also now also got lah. Huh? So if you are still attending meetings, I'm so sorry to tell you, you are not so high up law. <laughs> I also still attend meetings, so it's okay. <laughs> so anyway, the king of Assyria is Sennacherib. He sent his general. The general's title, not his name, huh? the title is called Rab Shekeh. It's not his name, huh? don't call him, his, his name is Rab Shekeh. It's just a title, like the military commander. So this military commander, Rab Shekeh, he was the one who did all the talking and he was a very arrogant man. He came in, he, there was no peace talk intended. He just came in to mock, to ridicule, to intimidate and bring the fear, the fear of death and destruction upon the people of Judah. And so, this is where the story is taking place. And now you wonder, hmm, it's a nice story, but actually, how does it apply to me? If I were to ask any of you, you will say, if I ask you, do you have any enemies? No, Jesus said I must love everybody. So nobody got enemies here, right? All are very godly Christian people, right? But you know, 
It is not about a human army, a human enemy. As Christians, as children of God, who is your enemy? Do you all know who is your enemy? You all don't know, ah? Who is your enemy? The devil, Satan, Mr. Satan, as some people call him. But let's not underestimate. The enemy is, the Bible tells us the enemy is always what? Prowling around. What is he prowling around doing? Seeking who he can devour. And you know, these are the last days. In the last days, right, the enemy is pulling out all kinds of tools to trip up the children of God, to distract the children of God, to bring us into defeat and even destruction and lead us away from the power of God. So today, that's why it's even more important that we must learn how to overcome this enemy so that we won't be, we won't be defeated and listening to his lies. So that's why this story is going to be very relevant to every one of us here today. And so, I'm just going to start and walk you through. It's two full chapters, but I'm going to walk you through the highlights of these chapters to underline and to let you know how to do, have this victorious walk. The first thing we need to understand, we must understand the enemy's strategy. In every, every position that we take, every circumstance, we need to know how the enemy functions. The first thing the enemy does is steals our peace. He steals our peace. In Isaiah 36, verse 4 to 5, And the Rab Shekeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest your trust of yours? <clears throat> do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Now this Rab Shekeh, very kurang aja. He calls his own leader a king, a great king of Assyria. But when he addresses Hezekiah, he doesn't use the term king. Tell your Hezekiah. And this was a, a time where, when the three officials came out. See, I want to paint you the scene. When the Assyrian army came, it was not just the three the, the officials meeting up. Rabshakeh came with a great army. It was as though one fine day, Israel, the, the Judah, the of Judah, they stood up, they woke up, and they looked over their, their walls, and they saw an army, an army who had been destroying every single city in their path. And now, it was Judah's turn. And so, when this Rabshakeh began to talk like this, he knew he was also not just talking to the three, the three officials that King Hezekiah sent. He was also speaking to the men of Judah. Because the men of Judah, when they saw and they heard news that the army was coming, they all ran to the wall to begin to see, begin to see what's going on, what's going to happen. Because everybody was bearing witness to what was going to come down. Now, Hezekiah, you wonder, hmm, is he, is he a good king? Should I like him or should I don't like him? I tell you that you must like him, okay? He's a good king. He is one of those kings, right? He didn't grow up in a godly family. His father was actually a very evil king. His father did all kinds of evil things. So sometimes you wonder, oh, I cannot help myself because I didn't grow up in a Christian family. That's the lie of the devil. Because, you see, Hezekiah, 
He didn't grow up in a godly household, but yet he chose to be godly. And he did something very remarkable. There were kings who were godly in the past as well in Judah. And whenever the godly king comes, they will remove all kinds of idols. But all the other godly kings never removed the idols in the high places. But Hezekiah did that. In 2 Kings chapter 18, the whole account is there. And a whole long list of all of Hezekiah's good deeds. And I want to read you what the Lord said about Hezekiah from 2 Kings 18 verse 5. This is said about Hezekiah. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, after him nor among those who were before him. Wow, can you imagine the Lord saying this about you? There was no pastor like Pastor Linda. No one like her because she was so good and she honoured. Wow, Pastor Linda, good job. And that was how Hezekiah was. That was the level of godliness. He practiced a life of godliness. For a long time, the nation of Judah, they stopped practicing the Passover. The Passover was instituted of the Lord to be celebrated every single year. But when Hezekiah found out, you know something? Hezekiah went for equipped classes, you know. He went for equipped classes and then he found out that, Ayo, we should be doing Passover every year. And he realized what a sin it was because it was a command of the Lord. And so immediately he instituted the Passover and he called for everyone, come in repentance. We must celebrate the Passover. And he even did it not for one week, but for two weeks in recognition that for the years past, it has not been done. So he was a, a great revolutionary man for the Lord. Very godly. Hey, wonder why? So godly, but yet bad things can happen to good people. We struggle with this, right? How come bad things can happen to good people? And Hezekiah, when he thought he has done everything, the enemy came knocking at his door with taunts like this. After stealing your peace, the enemy also kills our hope. What did the Rabshakeh say? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. You see, the nearest nation for Judah to cry out to help was Egypt. And Rabshakeh said, I know you are thinking of, of sending help sending a rider to ask Egypt to help you. You don't do that. Egypt is so weak. It is like a staff, a reed that is broken. So if you try and lean on it, it will break and in fact, it will pierce you back. You know why Rab Shagak will say that? Because when you read in that chapter, the entire army where the king was, it was camped out at a particular town called Lakish. Now Lakish, it is the city where it is on the highway to Egypt. And Assyria already blocked that highway. There was no way Egypt was able to come. There was no way a messenger was even able to get to Egypt. So Rab Shakeh was saying, Ha! You have no hope in Egypt. But further than that, he also killed their hope in this way. In verse 10 
Moreover, it is without the Lord that I have come up. It is, without, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, Rabshakeh is getting close and personal. He's saying that, you know what? It was your God that told me to come and destroy you. Your God said, it's time to destroy Judah. Your God. Wow. All the men of Judah are hearing this and saying, true. Ah? Is it true? Is it also now our turn to perish like, like, like Israel perished? Is it also God's hand? So immediately their hope started crumbling. You know, the enemy likes to feed us lies. Likes to feed us untruths about God. God doesn't care for you. God doesn't even listen to your prayer. God actually wants you to suffer. You go to church so much for what? You still go through problems what? That's the enemy. The enemy that's always wanting to discourage and kill every hope that we have in the Word of God. The next thing the enemy did was this. The enemy destroys our strength. In verse 8, Rab Shekeh is so bold and arrogant. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. Make a bet, nah? I will give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. Such a mockery. He was just saying, I give you chancellor. You're so poor thing, I give you 2,000 horses so that your men can come and fight against my men. Free of charge. 2,000 horses. I give you handicap. But then, uh, I give you so, uh, I don't think you can even find 2,000 men to ride on these horses. Lah. Wow. Can you imagine the people listening? Their hope was getting lesser and lesser. Their strength was being, being sapped out of them. The enemy has no new tools, you know, church. That's why Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give us life and life abundant. We must always remember this truth. We must stop listening to the work of the enemy that wants to always pull you down to remove your, your faith and hope in the Lord, to make you look at your circumstances, to make you look at your situations, to make you believe every doctor's report, to make you believe every negative thing said about you. But instead, we need to believe that it is the thief that is coming to steal, kill and destroy. But Christ has come so that all of us can live an abundant and victorious life. The next thing the enemy did was to undermine, was to undermine our identity. He said this. This, was, this statement was said after the leaders of Judah because they started feeling the fear of the men. And then they said, Rab Shakeh, can you please speak to us in this language, Aramaic? Because our people don't understand Aramaic. We don't want them to hear what you are saying. But Rab Shakeh said, no, the people must hear. And then he turns and addresses in an even louder voice because he wants all the people to hear this. And he said this, Don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. 
Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of King of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. Beware, let Hezekiah, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? The enemy wants you in a place where you start undermining, he starts undermining your identity and your leaders above you. He starts undermining who is your authority above you. And he says, please lah, don't think your God is going to fight for you. And a lot of times, marriages are also under this same attack. Where one spouse will tell the other spouse, you see, you should be doing this and you're not doing this. I cannot trust you anymore. I cannot honour you anymore. I don't want to believe you anymore. And that's what the enemy wants to sow. All these kinds of negative things to undermine the position of husband and wife sometimes. And sometimes even in different leadership roles, whether in church or out, the enemy will use things to undermine the leaders above you. And we must be very careful not to believe the lies of the enemy because the enemy wants to do this. Because if he can get the children of God busy and distracted and discouraged, it means that the children of God are helpless instead of being that powerful, victorious army that God intends us to be. We are all called to live victoriously, church. Amen. Come on, church. We are all called to live victoriously. Amen. We need to believe that because that is the promise that has been given to us. So it's time to be aware that the enemy strategizes so well to get us down and discouraged. But I want to tell you this. We have a way to respond. The enemy is not going to let up. But you know what? I have no, I'm not afraid of the enemy and I want to tell you, you don't need to be afraid. Because you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen, church. We need to all start taking authority because of what Christ has done for us. Because of the Christ in you. Because He has given you the Holy Spirit. Wow! And so this is how Hezekiah responded and we could really learn so much on how our response should be in times of calamity and problems. The first thing Hezekiah did as soon as his officials came back to relay the news in Isaiah 37 verse 1. As soon as Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and, co and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. He tore his clothes, church. I'm not going to demonstrate I like my baju, I won't tear. But you know, he's a king. He was clothed in kingly garments. In the Old Testament, I'm sure you have read. You have read in many instances when people are grieving, when they're going through a lot of uh, emotional turmoil, they always tear their clothes and they always put on sackcloth. What does it really mean? 
Because see, when you begin to tear off your clothes, you're saying, whatever I have, whatever material things I have, I am removing it because really God, I am coming to you with nothing. I understand my hope is not in what I have, not in my personal belongings, not in who I know, but really I am coming to you as I am because only you can help me. That is what the symbolism of tearing off the clothes and putting on sackcloth. Have you ever run a race as a child using the gunny sack? I always don't like that race. I think my leg's too short to handle it, you know. <laughs> but it always left me very itchy because the gunny sack is so, is so rough. But they put it on to identify with that difficult situation that they are in. They put it on to identify with really we have nothing unless you come in. And so in that posture, that heartfelt plea, it wasn't like God was a, a plan B or a plan C. God was only one plan. Only God can help. And that's why Hezekiah, after that, went into the house of the Lord. Because only, our only help, our constant help should always just be in the Lord. We should not be running to the phone the first time we get some bad news. The first time a situation happens. But really, church, the Lord wants all of us and He, he will hear you. Let's take a look. So as, that was Hezekiah's heartfelt plea. As he went to the Lord himself, he also sent word to seek godly counsel. He went to Pastor Isaiah for help. So, he sent word to Isaiah about this situation. And this is what Isaiah replied in verses 6 to 7. Say to Isaiah, say to them, say to your master that the, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumour and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And you know, Isaiah uses this word, young man. Right? He uses the word, young man. Don't be afraid of all these things that the young man has said. The young man of the king. You know, when I looked in different versions, they had a different translation at different places. A lot of them used the word young man. But I went into the Hebrew to really find out like, what is this young man? Because Rabshakeh, to be at that level, cannot be a young man. So why is, Hezekiah, why is Isaiah referring to him as a young man? You know, the Hebrew word, it is not a young man. The Hebrew word is actually an adolescent, someone below 18 years of age. But what, what, what Isaiah was telling them was, these are children. These are the young men, children. You don't have to worry what the children say because Isaiah knows his position is in the Lord God Almighty. All these murmurings, all these threats, these are all children's talk. We don't have to be afraid of this children's talk. So Isaiah knew his position. He knew his authority and he could speak forth that confidence that don't worry and the Lord says, I'm going to set a rumour that will send the king of Assyria far away and he will not even survive that. And true enough, as you read down the passage, King Assyria 
was summoned away. There was a rumour of another war and then so King Assyria had to go somewhere and he said, Rabshakeh and your army, I need you to help me out. So they all left. But as they were leaving, they sent a letter to Hezekiah. It gets more interesting, church. He says this in Isaiah 37, verse 10 and 14. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. He says, just because this rumour happened doesn't mean your God has got the victory. The enemy, you know, sometimes they've got to pull back the forces, but sometimes they will regroup again and come back again and again. And they want to destroy your faith your confidence. But today I want to tell you, let faith arise. Let your confidence be not in anything else but except the Lord God Almighty because He has already given you the victory in Him. And so this king wanted to continue to undermine Hezekiah and his faith and his confidence. But what did Hezekiah do in verse 14? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. This was not the time where Hezekiah said, okay, okay, now we got a small recess time. So we can now, let's count how many men. Can we get 2,000 men or not? Let's do this. Let, let's call a council of military people to meet together. Let's go and uh, send forth a messenger to Egypt to help us. He didn't do any of these strategies. He took that letter he took that medical report. He took that, that, that challenging tender that you're trying to work on. He took it and spread it before the Lord in the house of God. Hezekiah continued to have his faith unshaken in the Lord. And then he prayed. And this prayer is what I call the, the highlight of this entire drama. This entire thing that's unfolding. Hezekiah's prayer was fantastic. And so we're going to go through it. The persistent prayer. I call it persistent prayer. You know why? Because Hezekiah has always been maintaining a lifestyle of prayer. He's always been maintaining that only in prayer, only God can do this. And I will stick to God. Not to the words of man but he still goes to God. It's a very significant act. You see, Satan's purpose in giving us trials sometimes is to take our focus off the Lord and start looking at our trials, start looking at ourselves, our failings, how we can't meet it, how we can't overcome this. But God, through your trials, will get us always to focus on Him. will always align us back to the heart of God, to what really matters. And so let's read the prayer of Hezekiah. Reading again verse 14, he received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. He spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, 
You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O God, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. Now this is a very long and powerful prayer, but I like how he starts it. O Lord of hosts. We hear this term, but do you know what Lord of hosts really mean? Lord of hosts means Lord of angel armies, Lord of the battlefield, Lord of all kinds of wars. I come to you. You alone, you alone are great and mighty. You alone. Hezekiah, in his prayer, he began to position himself and give himself a right perspective of God. Sometimes we can lose our perspective because sometimes we don't get to see God face to face and it's hard to understand, is God really there? Is God really listening to me? Does He really hear my cry? But His appeal to the Lord was also a reminder to Himself, you are the Lord of angel armies. You are God above everything else. Wow, when you suddenly lift your eyes up to understand the immensity and power and might of the God who loves us. Wow, all our problems become so tiny. And then he goes into the positioning. He positions himself as he sees God as a God that hears and listens. That though he is almighty, all-powerful, above kingdoms, he says, but I know you can still hear. I know you can still see. He positions himself because he knows, I'm right there. I'm right there with the Lord. I'm right there. Then the next thing is, he is a very practical person in his prayer. Why do I say practical? Sometimes we come to the Lord, we come in denial. Why do I say denial? We don't want to tell God how bad it really is. God, you see how lah, you know uh, this medical report like this, but you, you see if you've got time, but if no time, don't worry, I already got my appointments all done. It is not that I'm against appointments, please go make your appointments. But you need, we need to come with that heartfelt longing to the Lord in prayer, that posture, that positioning, and being very practical. Because this is what Hezekiah said in his practical prayer. He said, it's true God, truly, O Lord. It's true what they say, king of Assyria has conquered, has laid waste to all these nations. It's true, I can't deny it. But then I also recognize, our God, that all the gods that all these nations have, have been worshipping, they are actually not really gods. I also recognize that, Lord. And I also recognize they're just the works of man made out of wood and stone. See, Hezekiah is very practical. God, this is an immense art. Uh, army. This is an immense challenge that is coming to me. It is true. They have conquered so many things. It is true they are very formidable. But yet I also know it is nothing compared to you. It is always a coming back. You're being practical. God, you know. When I was sick, I was just told that 
oh, your condition, you just have to basically manage it for the rest of your life. You just got to manage it. You just got to take things, you got to take care of this, take care of that, and you'll just be on these medications. Lah. You got to take uh, immunosuppressants for the rest of your life because that's how you are. Then I'm like, huh? I don't want to do that. And so I pleaded and I pleaded and I said, God, you see already, you see. This is what doctors say. But you also, I also know you are above every single medicine. You're above every single thing. Lord, I appeal to you and I plead to you. Heal me that I don't need to be on this immunosuppressants. And church, it's been five, it's been four years. It's been four years and I don't have to take it ever again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's all glory to God only. But we need to take God's word at, it, at its truth. And we need to be practical like Hezekiah. And then comes the petition. What is the main petition? Not just to save me. The petition is, save me so that you be glorified. You know, in all our prayers, all our requests, we must be very careful to recognize it is always about giving glory to God. We have to be so careful to say, God, you take all glory. I have no part in this. You did it because your glory has to be lifted high. And so that is how we need to pray. We need to get the right perspective. We need to have the right positioning, recognizing that God always hears us. We need to be very practical. Recognize, say, Lord, this is immense. Lord, this tender before me. It is so difficult. So many people. I am such a small company. But you know what the Lord says? I can deliver you. I can make things happen. I can turn things around. Judah was such a tiny little nation in the face of a kingdom of Assyria that was conquering. It was one of the great kingdoms before the Babylonian kingdom came. We need to understand God is always for us. And recognize that it's always about giving glory to God. So, if you want to take a picture, this is the picture you should take. This is the picture you should take because this is how our prayer stands should be. Not just when you have trials, but we need to have that attitude of persistent prayer. We need to start engaging God, not just when we have trials. Because you wonder, you say, how come, uh, some people can always hear the Lord. You always say, oh, God told me I must do this. God told me to, to do that. He said, I also want that. And you know what? God wants that of you. And He wants you to be so close that you can hear Him. But it takes you and I to start getting before the Lord every single day. Bringing to God every situation. Committing to God the day. Lord, today, I don't know what's ahead. But today, I bring it before you. I bring myself before you. I ask that God, you lead me, you guide me, you show me. Holy Spirit, let me not make wrong mistakes. Let me also find ways to glorify you. And when we start having the attitude of prayer, that persistent prayer, you begin to see a change. You wonder, it's already coming to the end of August. And you're saying, wow, God, this year so, so many unanswered prayers, so many unanswered things. You know, if you want to see a change in your life, we need to start doing things differently. You need to start, if you have not been having a consistent prayer life, you need to start doing things differently. If you've not been having a consistent time to read the Word of God, meditate on it, 
we need to start employing it. If you want to start seeing victories in your life, you need to start walking righteously. Like how King Hezekiah was, even in the good times, he just continued to seek and hunger after the Lord. If you've never even attended one of our corporate press, I want to tell you to come. You know why? Yes, it's true, the attendances have grown up, has, has been growing, but it's beyond attendance because you know what? God has been performing miracles and breakthroughs. We have been seeing legitimate healing, proven healing things taking place. And I believe that this is just the seeds of the beginning. Church, we need to start doing things differently. We need to start living and walking in the authority of God. And now the end of this story, you all want to hear the end of this story, right? Because the end is always the best part, right? The end is talking about God's victory. Because you know why God wants us to be victorious? He wants us to have life and life abundant. That's what Jesus came. I have come to bring life and life abundant. And so God's victory is here. In Isaiah 37 verse 21, then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah and says, now this is my favourite verse of this whole encounter. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning King Sennacherib, because you have prayed, because you prayed to me, because you didn't go running around for other solutions, but because you chose me as your number one source of help, because you prayed. Because you prayed, what did the Lord do? God responded. God always responds to our prayers, church. He always responds. Press in to hear the response. Con cultivate that prayer life and you will start recognizing the voice of the Lord. So the Lord responded here in Isaiah 37 verse 33 and 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. He will not even come close to it. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. I will defend. I will defend. God is your defender. Church, come on. God is your defender. Aren't you excited to know that God is my defender? He's your defender in every situation. We need to understand that is the perspective we must have. We have a God that always is for us. After that, after his response, God doesn't just say words, but God intervenes. God's intervention in Isaiah 36 to 38. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down. 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people, this is the people of Judah, when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. The Lord sends an angel, an angel to fight for you. Church, God always fights for you. God has no favourites. Sometimes you hear testimonies and you say, so unfair God, how come you fight for her and you don't fight for me? I want you to know, we need to understand God always, always fights for you. And when we begin to put all our faith and hope 
I don't know how he's going to do it, but I can just imagine he's going to send angels. He's going to send angels on your behalf to turn things around, to bring about the victory. You don't have to sometimes even do anything. He says, stand still and see the victory of the Lord. That's what God is asking for us to do. God wants to do this for us. And just in an instant, overnight, their problem disappeared for good. It disappeared. 185,000 just killed like that. But God doesn't just stop there. God has a final say. God has the final say. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. Remember that first, that first prophecy, he shall die by sword. That was what Isaiah prophesied. See, God is not going to be mocked. If anyone comes against you and disrespects the name of God when you are trying to make a righteous stand, God is going to fight for you. Church, you've got to understand that authority. You've got to understand your position as a child of God. You are not an employee of God. We are children of God. We are called to obey Him. We are called to, to run with Him. We are called to hunger after His presence, His love, and soak in His Word, soak in His presence. And you know what? As we do all these things, God always has the final say. God will not allow His name to be mocked. He will not allow His children to be mocked for His name's sake. That is what we need to always remind ourselves. We don't live Life as a defeated person because that's the lie of the enemy. The enemy wants to say that don't, don't even trust in God. Don't bother going for prayer meetings. You pray already how long? No answer. But I want to tell you this, church. I believe God is beginning to cause a stirring to happen even in this church. Things are moving. Things are happening even in our prayer meetings. And there is a sense among all the pastoral team that God is on the move. So I don't want anyone to be left out. You know, it's like the river of God that's flowing in Ezekiel. There is a river that is flowing. And at first, when he saw it, he saw it's only ankle deep. And then it can go deeper. And then it was like knee deep. And then it went deeper again. And church, how many of us are saying, I'm okay just to be ankle deep. But the Lord is saying, come on in deeper. Come on in deeper. I've got refreshing times. I'm going to meet with you there. You're, going to, you're not going to struggle. You're going to learn to walk with me. And you're going to see that as you walk, I am with you. I never abandon you. And that's why, church, because we pray. Can I have the worship team here, please? Because we pray, God hears us. You must know that God is going to hear your prayer. Because we pray, God fights for us. Because we pray, God always has the final say. You know, this, this sermon I entitled Overcome because we've got to make a decision today.
Do we want to remain overcome by our situations? Or do we say, God, I want to overcome with you. I want to overcome and take back my authority in Christ. I want to overcome and take back all the promises that you have already spoken into my heart. I will not allow the, the enemy to undermine my position. I will not allow the enemy to lie and steal and cheat and destroy all that God has for me. Church, if every one of us begin to take on this stand, you know what? We can take Pataling Jaya for Jesus. You know what? We can take the nation for Jesus. We need to take hold of this in every area of your life. And remember, it's always for the glory of God. You say, God, how can I glorify you this morning? That is how we start in prayer. So today, I'm going to turn the order of service around a little bit. Instead of asking you to come forward, because I believe if I were to go down the line, every one of us has got a different challenge. None of us are exempted from challenges and situations. None of us are exempted from having the enemy lie to us about how much God wants to fight for us. So this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to do this with me as well. Like Hezekiah, when he received that letter, he went and he spread it before the Lord. It's time, church, that we take our situations and we spread it before the Lord. And today where you are, make that an altar. Make that place an altar. If you need to kneel, you can kneel in the aisles. Or if you want to come forward, you can also use this place to kneel. But it is just about every person here recognizing that God wants to fight for you. And it happens on our knees in prayer. So as the worship team leads, can I just ask you just to close your eyes and begin to make that altar before the Lord. Begin to ask the Lord. Begin to say, God, this is my challenge. Begin to recognize that God loves you. Oh, Rabbi, and let all eyes closed. Let's have as minimal movement as possible. Let's respect the presence of the Lord here. Sharabadabasirianda.